Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Matthias Friedstrom, Vice President and Chief Evangelist at Aurelian. As you will hear in the start of our interview, Matthias has been at Telia, now Aurelian, for a long time, in fact, from its inception. And from that seat of being at a tier one provider, he's gotten this great view of the telecom industry over the past couple of decades. So he uses that broad perspective to write a forward-looking article each year on the trends that he expects to see in the industry in the coming year. So I thought it would be fun to look back at his predictions for 2022 from one year ago and see how they played out. We start with his top three global carrier trends where he goes through his predictions about network security, greater utilization of the public internet, and disaggregated network sourcing and engineering. And we get into many other key issues that arose in 2022, such as skills gaps, cost increases and shortages like Chip Mageddon, and global issues outside the telecom industry like the Ukraine war and the resulting European power crisis, and how providers and industry players reacted to these forces. And we can't talk about his predictions for 2022 without getting into how those and other issues might play out in this year, giving us a preview of his new article that will be coming out probably around the time uh, this episode is released in subtel form again. So Matthias has a deep knowledge and history of the global telecom ecosystem and is really adept at discussing them. So without further ado, let's turn it over to the interview. Okay, welcome to the show, Matthias. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, you, you have this uh, chief evangelist kind of title. That's I, I love that. I've, I've talked to a few people on the show that have that. So um, could you just take us through your role, though, first at, at Telia, then becoming Aurelian, and of course, of, and, and how you got to be a chief evangelist, what your sort of background is briefly. And, uh, and for anyone listening, you know, that might not be I think almost everyone listening to the show is familiar with with uh, Telia slash Aurelian now, right? Um, but uh, yeah, a little little background on what you guys do. Yeah, no, I, you know, uh, yeah, we were. I was actually here when we started the company in 1998. Uh, that was wow. a point in time when uh, half circuits went into full circuits, and and companies starting <laughs> yeah. to build their own networks in other countries. And we were one of the pioneering companies saying, you know, why can't we do that? You know, let's do that. Mm -hmm. So we started right. building a network both in Europe and North America. And that kind of propelled us into becoming a, an international carrier. Uh, I've mm -hmm. had many roles in this company. I've been the CTO for many, many years. But then in 2016, I felt, you know, OK, I've been I've been the CTO now for so many years. And, and the only thing you do is kind of build more and repair more. Uh, and I felt, mm -hmm. you know, someone new needs to come in here with new energy continuing the repairing stuff and the building stuff, because that's what it's all right. about in some way. Uh, and then we kind of had a discussion here. We don't really have anyone in the management team that have time to spend on what is the world going through right now? What's happening in the world? What is everyone else mm -hmm. doing? What are the competitors right. doing? What are the customers doing? Trying to figure out you know, what's, what's going around and what do we need to do to be better? And what is everyone else doing to become better? So I kind mm -hmm. of said, you know, I can take that role. I'll become the chief evangelist. That means I have time to spend with customers, not asking them to buy more, but just trying to figure out where they want to go. 
Uh, And I can also then relate all of that back to what we do and and help the people who's always in the hamster wheel trying to do the stuff they're supposed to do. I can tell them, you know, hey, everyone else is doing this. We're doing that. Hmm, Maybe we should look at what they're doing or the other way Mm -hmm. around, you know, hey, here we're doing something that no one else is doing. This is really cool. Yet, you know, let's stay here. Let's do that. Continue to do it. So my job is really, you know, number 10 in the midfield. I I can really be anywhere. (laughs) practically trying to figure out what we need to do next. Yeah, well, and there's there's an interesting dynamic there too, right? Because uh, for for you guys, as for, for most, uh, you know, carriers out there, there's two very different sets of customers with different ideas, your wholesale customers, your enterprise customers, and and they're in very different places sometimes. And I think getting those those groups to harmonize, right, um, is, is a challenge, is it not, right? Absolutely, you know, and and traditionally we've really been selling well to wholesalers and carriers, and it wasn't really mm-hmm. until 2018 that we said, you know, hey, why not start to sell to enterprise as well? So I think we're still in the learning curve of trying to figure out how to sell direct to an enterprise. Before, yeah. you know, we sold to Verizon and AT and T, and they sold to the enterprise. Now we go right. direct with some of our services, and that's a bit of a change in in attitude and and a change in the way we sell. You know. Sometimes in the wholesale world, you can get a connected by a contacted by a customer on the Monday, and you sell by the Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the enterprise world, there is typically a six to nine month cycle Absolutely. before your sort of first interaction and when you start to do business. So, I think we're all learning in Aurelion, trying to figure out, you know, how do you how do we approach the enterprise world? Uh, mm-hmm. And and as you said, they are very different. They are absolutely different. Right. Although in some ways, converging more than they used to is something we might even hit on here that, that uh, you know, with raw internet uh, as, as an enterprise technology now, and I even talked to some enterprises who are building their own backbones between data centers and stuff. So, so there, there, there is some convergence of those worlds going on, I think. So. No, absolutely. You're completely right. And, and some of them are kind of more sophisticated buyer than some of our mm-hmm. operator customers, you know. They yeah. realize that they need competence in that area as well. And and some network engineers and enterprises are as good as the network engineers we have. So you're absolutely right. right. They're starting to get closer to what we normally do and sell. Yeah, excellent. All right. So on to our main topic here today, Matthias. Uh, I read your article in the Subtel Forum uh, last year on on the uh, a bunch of series of top three trends that you were looking out for in 2022, kind of predictions. I think with predictions, as, as someone in, in my role who sometimes has to make predictions, it's always kind of fun to, to go back and, and see how well you did. Predicting the future is hard, <laughs> that, that caveat in yeah. mind, right? Um, in fact, I, I think there's a quote in your article that I really like that uh, you can't predict the future, but you could be ready for it, something yep. like that. You can correct me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I thought let's let's go back through uh, your Subtel Forum article from from uh, the, the start of, of 2022 and, and those things that you highlighted that you were going to sort of follow this year and see how they went. Yep. And and in mind, let me ask, I, I assume you're writing this article again for, for 2023? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be released any day now, I believe. Excellent. All right. So we can we can tie that in maybe with with what uh, what you see coming in, in 2022. But I wanted to just start with with your top three global carrier trends. Yep. Um, I've I, you know, this the origin of this show was really originally about WAN specifically. Now we're talking about all things telecom, but yep. even still sassy security is something that people want to talk about all the time that yep. that was your the, the start of your article security increasingly important 
what did you have to say in 2022 and how do you think it, it should Yeah, out? no, absolutely. And and the, the thinking I had when I wrote that was that I felt, you know, there's a lot more network security that we need to implement. You know, DDoS, mm-hmm. we need to be better DDoS protection, firewalls, everything around security is going to be increasingly important for 2022. When I look back at 22 to see what happened, uh, absolutely DDoS is important. It is really important to stop that. And I actually can see that we have stopped that. I would argue that during the fall of 2022, the number of DDoS attacks in the world are actually less than they were in the spring. And Mm -hmm. I think that's from a combination of some of the larger operators are starting to share more data between them and start to sort of Mm. help each other fighting against these things. And then obviously Mm -hmm. sophisticated tools to stop this already before they happen. So there's a lot of things in there. But what I didn't understand when I wrote that was that there was going to be a war in Europe and there's going to be a lot more things happening in the network, even sabotage in the network. We've never really seen Mm -hmm. that before. But during 2022, we had two incidents in France where where cables were cut by someone Mm -hmm. who just wanted to cut them. So I would say, you know, I spoke about network security, I wrote about network security, but actually now physical security is what most customers are talking about. You know, Uh, I don't know how many times I've shown customers maps of where we have our cables and how vulnerable sea cables are and, you know, how fast we can repair a LAN cable and, and that stuff. So I think, you know, security is absolutely more important, but not in the way I thought before 2022, Uh, but it's still Mm -hmm. super relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I like the way that, you know, there, that there are new tools emerging both on the carrier side and, and for enterprises to adopt directly and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think no one in, in January of last year, um, who's perhaps other than a, a small group of, of security experts, uh, you know, global security experts would have seen what was coming. But, but at the same time, I, I think there's always been this understanding that, you know, terrorists, uh, bad state actors, whatever, um, could take uh, action against, and and you know, I, I wonder what your opinion on on the industry having sort of grappled with that, if there is sufficient diversity. So you mentioned these cases in France. Europe has a lot of path diversity, right? Um, so it, it would be hard for someone to do serious damage, but but I, I think there are some vulnerabilities perhaps that the carriers need to grapple with still. Absolutely, you're completely right. There is, and also I I would say. Our industry have been extremely transparent the last 15 years with, you know, information about where cables are. You know, you can mm-hmm. if you buy a sea cable map, you will identify where all the sea cables are. They're in the, they're in the yeah. map. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've got one behind me. Right? Exactly, exactly. You're right. Yeah. And they're they're you know, if any customers comes to us and says, you know, we want to buy diversity from you. Can you show us how you can provide diversity to us between London and Paris? We will show them the maps. And and of course, Mm -hmm. uh, sending out all these maps from every operator all the time means that everyone have access to wherever this needs. So that's something our industry needs to think about, you know, how do we limit the the sending around of maps? At the same time, you know, if we can't send the map to a customer, how can we guarantee there is is diversity? So it's a difficult question, but, but you're completely right that we've been a bit too transparent uh, and therefore the knowledge out there if someone wants to do damage it's fairly easy to find out where where to do the most damage yeah absolutely i mean certainly from from the enterprise perspective their their wish is to have a kmz file from every uh not just their operator but the the operators that their carriers buy from and in everything on down the line because they want to make sure if somebody 
digs a trench. In fact, this comes up later in your article too, but yeah. uh, that, uh, you know, if you need physical diversity, you have to know the physical routing, but then that, that can be, uh, you know, information for, for bad actors. So it's, yeah. it's, it's no clear answer. Certainly nope, it seems nope. to me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, carriers, good, good luck with that. Um, the, the next thing on, on your three global carrier trends that I wanted to talk about was was the the greater utilization of, of public internet, raw bandwidth. And this is something, of course, that I've talked about a lot um, from, from kind of more the enterprise side of, of you know, the, the give and take of getting away from private networks and, and using overlays and, and, you know, just further up the stack to be able to just, you know, have in uh, a, a non-public kind of uh, network. Uh, what, what did you say in the start of the year and, and how do you think that played out? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, the, the reason I wrote that was we started to see an interest from enterprise customers to, to really, instead of buying a very managed service where we would supply them with everything, including application performance and everything, they started mm-hmm. to ask for, you know, pretty much raw bandwidth between A and B. Uh, that could be a right. wavelength, could be a very raw Ethernet service on the layer two. Uh, mm-hmm. And they also started to find out that through the public internet, they can probably access a lot of applications in the cloud, a lot of stuff in the cloud. Right. And therefore, uh, my prediction was that a lot of more enterprises were going away from asking for MPLS networks and, and that type of stuff. And instead just, you know, okay, we have a big data center in Kansas. We have our headquarters in New York. Let's buy a big pipe between those mm-hmm. two and run it ourselves. Hire the engineers on our side to run that. And then, you know, we're going to use Salesforce and, and Workday and, and a few other applications in the cloud. Let's just buy access to the public internet and let the traffic run on the public internet. That was my mm-hmm. prediction before. And that's really panned out during the year. And we have sold a lot of bandwidth to customers we never thought we would even engage with before. But they are right. coming to us saying, you know, hey, we our IT department is now so good. So we would like to buy like a normal, like an operator from you. Can we buy, you know, mm-hmm. waves from you? Uh, can we, can right, we even right. buy just a lot of access to the public internet from you? So I think that one really panned out well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was, even some who who might be getting into peering and, and, and more, you know more carrier like activity with their own ASNs and yeah, stuff like no, that. No, absolutely. I definitely see that. Um, one one thing I have seen that's that's kind of a, a countervailing force of that. Now you guys, of course, are are a, a tier one IP backbone provider. Um, so a, a, an enterprise customer coming to you might be coming to you for that reason, that, that I've seen other enterprise who shy away from the internet, uh, having moved in that direction, then thought, well, this isn't working well because of kind of the middle mile problem, maybe because of, of, the, of a last mile problem. So if, if your endpoint, so you, you mentioned a, a case with, within the United States, for example, but if, you're, if you're, your office is in you know, sub-Saharan Africa or, or you know, South America in, in, in some locations, there, there's uh, some some folks who have turned to the internet have said, "Wait a minute, this isn't working great, right?" So, so I think that the perspective maybe from from a tier one backbone provider and their and your customer set uh, uh, might might be uh, mi- missing some of those that 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 really don't have access to great internet, even even in the middle mile segment. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and we meet a lot of customers who comes to us and says, you know, hey, we tried the public internet, but it didn't really work. And then mm-hmm. obviously our job is to explain to them that the public internet is really 70,000 different networks. And if you right. connect to the wrong one, yeah, your traffic might take the, a, a, long, a long route through the network to wherever it needs to go. And it might be, it doesn't have the available bandwidth and everything. There's a lot of things that can happen. So I think the, 
the job we have to do as a tier one is trying to explain, you know, how the internet backbone works. And, and the sooner you can get onto our network, the faster you will get to the other end and so on. So, of course, internet performance is very different among very different ISPs. So what we're trying to tell right. the enterprises is, you know, try again and try to buy mm-hmm. bandwidth from these customers because they've in turn bought their backbone capacity from us or someone mm-hmm. else in the tier one sector. Mm-hmm. And then that's almost a guarantee that the traffic's going to fly well through the network to the other end. But you're very right. The, the internet experience is very different depending on who you're, who you're using. Uh, and I would right. say, you know, many are using the cost argument. It's too expensive to buy from them. Yeah. But then you get the quality you deserve. So, uh, and it shouldn't be that much more disp- expensive to to buy from from someone someone else. Right, right, right. I, well, that's the key, right? So, you know, in the end, uh, the the reason for moving to the internet is is in some ways a, ne- a network reason, like you, you like you mentioned, you're, you're connecting to the to the cloud rather than to your, you know, having your data centers uh, in your own premises that you have to get onto your private network or something. But also, it's mainly cost, right? So it's like MPLS is expensive, and and so you know, yeah. you, ostensibly you can put together an internet. So if, if it's if it's not cheaper, then uh, I don't think that calculus remains the same, right? Nope. So absolutely. Now, the the last thing you said in in your top three global carrier trends was was uh, looking for for uh, networks to be more open and disaggregated. What what did you mean by that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this came from the sort of chip Magedon that we talked about before. You know mm-hmm. that when mm-hmm. when the world was suddenly becoming sh- a shortage of components, you know, semiconductors was was not available by anyone really. Then suddenly we started to de- see delivery times of equipment from your usual vendor that could end up in almost a year. Uh, I just heard a colleague yesterday telling me that, oh, great, I received a, this one is going to be delivered on the 25th of January. This is perfect. And then it's like, no, it's 2024. It's like, oh. (laughs) 25th of January (laughs) of some year, right? It's 54 weeks. So so basically what I predicted was that more and more customers and companies need to go away from buying everything from someone and instead mm-hmm. buying pieces from everyone and trying to put them together themselves. And I can also mm-hmm. say that the optical industry and the IP industry have also helped us there by helping us disaggregating this. And, and you know, you can now buy transponders in the optical world from pretty much anyone and they will fit in the, the same sort of line box you have for mm-hmm. your line system. And, and that world is now becoming almost easy to work with. Uh, It's taken a while, but now I can really start to see that, you know, okay, transponders from these companies are being delivered in 36 weeks, but the transponders from this company is coming in 16 weeks. So let's go with them instead. And and it's Mm -hmm. sort of a a standard way of putting them in there. And then the other fact was, of course, this 400 gig ZR, the stuff where you would almost jump over the optical layer in between and shoot directly from a router through your optical footprint to the other end to another router that stuff is also when you disaggregate that and and open that world that's going to be huge for us operators because we will there's a lot of pieces we don't need to buy anymore uh, and that's right. going to be a very big difference for us yeah so so really you're you're talking at at um Almost, if you will, the the layer beneath layer one. The, no, the, the, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. We're at the very low level in the network right now, but it's sort of the foundation mm-hmm. for all the services on top of right. it. And of course, we we feel that we can produce WAN services now much cheaper and much better to customers when we have this sort of underlay 
in a much smarter way built. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there isn't pointless of building networks within networks because that's the way you have to do it. If you can mm -hmm. take remove one of the layers here and go from the IP layer through the optical layer without any optical equipment, that's going right. to benefit the WANs on top of it. And, and there are so many things we can produce much better to enterprises today than we could yesterday. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's, it's something we don't hit on at Telegeography very often, but but actually did have have uh, in a, a sort of equipment manufacturer on the show once talking about new new ways of, of making like a pick card or whatever. But ultimately, what you're saying is is the OEM kind of players are making a big impact on on the network. But but I guess carriers would have to be forward thinking, paying attention to these changes, right? So. No, absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff happening in in that world, and and obviously the. Uh, I think the biggest struggle with us is, of course, you know, we have the optical people in our company and we have the IP people in our company. Uh, mm -hmm. They're extremely good at their own platforms. But now suddenly those are merging together. And, and how do you operate a network where, where this is not given anymore and, and you need to think about new ways of operating this? And, and that it means that we take on a, more, a lot more responsibility when we mix and match between different vendors. Uh, but it right. also means we have to have higher competence and 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 get sort of a better grip of our own network, which in some way helps towards our customers because we can suddenly explain much more to customers what's going on in our network when there ever is, is a fault in here. Uh, but you're right. It's mm -hmm. a big change for an operator like us. Yeah, well, this, so this was one of your other top three sections, skills gap in, in the carrier industry. And, and you mentioned IP people who who understand optics uh, and and. and just as you just said, there, there's a need for that since you can maybe skip from uh, right, right, plugging the the optical layer right into the IP layer. Yep. Did that emerge? Is is it, what, what, were we able to upskill some engineers in that sense, or is that something we still need to work Absolutely. on? Absolutely, I would say that was a big dramatic change. I would say in the beginning of 2022, we still had these arguments between these units, and and we were like, you know, okay, who's going to drive this forward? Is it the IP people or the optical people? And I think by mid-year last year, we started to realize that it's a combination of both, actually. So we, mm -hmm. uh, and, and for the first time ever, we went to the biggest optical show in Europe uh, during summertime last year, and we had an IP guy with us. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've never been there before. He had never been to an event like that. So, uh, right. but it was it was a good thing. And I think during the autumn, we started to see more and more that these teams these teams are they're not really speaking the same languages because mm -hmm. in the IP world you do so many more software upgrades and there's a lot more right. functionality. The optical world you really never touch. You install it and then you know let the software right. be there. It's, you know, upgrade the it every second year. You know. <laughs> So, yeah. so there's a lot they need to learn from each other. But I would say 2022 was the year when when we started to see yeah, crossbreeds between these, these two individual groups in our company. And there's there's a lot of that, I think, going on in the industry, areas bleeding into each other that, that hadn't previously. But so it's so you got one right. There. Yeah, that, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Your, your, well, I want, let's talk about your, your two other uh, skills gaps in, in the carrier industry. Um, you, you mentioned we need finance people who understand IP. So, so yeah. I, I, I like IP billing. Take us through what, what the yeah, problem no, I, was. Yeah, one of the things we've found out in our companies and I've found out from many other operators is the way you, you build customers for access to internet. You know, obviously, that's based mm -hmm. on measurement of traffic. Uh, right. The traffic that flies through the network at the edge of our network and the edge of their network, sort of the, the traffic between the networks. 
Uh, and and in, in sort of in the easiest form, it sounds super simple. You just measure the traffic mm -hmm. and at the end of the month, you calculate when was the traffic at its peak. And that's what right. you bill for, you know. The classic when, 95 percent. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. The 95th percentile. Uh, that's sort of mm -hmm. well used. But when you have a lot of ports with the customer in a lot of different time zones, uh, and you can really make that world really complicated. And I found out last mm -hmm. year that we we struggled so much with with finance understanding how to bill for this, uh, mm -hmm. and and the IP people really only knowing how the traffic was flowing, and but not really knowing how to transform that into you know mesh pure measurements that could be explained on a bill to a customer. And I think right. there is really a skills gap there in in the amount of people that really understands the business side of this. We have loads of IP engineers who understands exactly how to run routers and configure them and make sure right. the traffic is flying and everyone is happy. But when it comes to the measurement of the data and how, how, how to handle that and how to transform that into something that we can build a customer and actually explain to the customer, this is your usage. Uh, and mm -hmm. this is the way we've calculated it. Uh, that, that, type of, that type of gap is still there. Yeah, it's still a tough area to solve. Yeah, right. Right. We haven't we haven't figured that one out yet. And there's there's also isn't there in some cases I mean kind of a, a geographic component, right? So we think about that a lot of telegeography, but your your traffic profile incurs a lot of different costs on on the backbone provider if if it's traversing the world versus you know a, a country over in Europe, say you know. No, absolutely. There are so many different ways. You can run your traffic in an IP backbone, and, and you're mm -hmm. absolutely right that yeah, some some people take that for granted. But when you actually go into the details of it, it's fairly complicated, and, and there are many ways you can do that. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where if if you're talking about your your job at a cocktail party with with you know lay people, as it were, right that. That the the internet is a physical thing <laughs> that 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 has you know like you said seventy thousand different networks all these different that that everyone sort of even people within the industry sometimes even customers um, you know kind of just imagine like oh I, I just get on the internet and that's it right yeah <laughs> no and and, yeah. and and that's the most funny thing with the enterprises when you start to talk to the CIOs who are usually experts on Kubernetes and and the amount of right. servers you need to run your applications and when you speak to them about the cloud then it's like you know yeah the cloud is there you know and, and we use wi-fi to access the cloud uh what's the problem and then not really realizing that there are really physical cables and physical data centers and a lot more stuff that can go wrong <laughs> on on, right. on, on yeah. the way to the cloud yeah well and and even just understanding that again the cloud is a physical thing that has to exist with costs and workers and all that, which, yeah. which I think we'll, we'll get to a little bit of that. But the, the last one in your in your skills gap in the carrier industry was was back to optical. So you, uh, you, you kind of probably touch on this a little bit, but optical people that that understand finance. What yeah. did you mean by and that? And this was more written with sort of. Uh, I think there is a lot of optical people that understand finance, but it was more of a note to the optical suppliers that, you know, in the mm. IP space, there's a lot of, uh, you know, every time we meet an optical, an, uh, an IP supplier, the feeling is that the price is going down. They've come up with five new inventions. That means that the price per megabit is going down. Everything is fine. While in the optical world, the, the sort of the decline in prices for us operators is not the same. It's not the same mm -hmm. pace. It's not the same thing. 
and in my world, you know, they're very similar. You know, there is there is silicon stuff in there. There's some optical stuff in there. So it's more of a hint to the optical suppliers. You know, please think about your pricing because we're super dependent on that one. I fully understand right. they need to make money and so on. So it, it was more of a hint to them. Has that panned mm-hmm. out during the year? No, it hasn't. <laughs> they're still very expensive. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. I, I missed the point there. But you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. I, I've been involved with tracking telecom prices since 2006, and they have always gone down every single one of those years until 2022. Yeah, so, oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on that note, you, you had the, the top three costs that, that won't go down. Um, uh, you started with data centers, which kind of just mentioned that, that you know there's physical real estate. Uh, people to run those incredible security, all that sort of thing. Uh, what, what did you see happening in the data center space? Yeah, and, no, and unfortunately, I, I was a... very right there. I, it was yeah. uh, it was a tough prediction. It was a simple prediction to make, and unfortunately, it became right. You know, and and right. I, my feeling is these collocation companies have this. They believe they have the right to increase pricing because they know we're stuck with them. They know we have put right. so much time and effort into putting equipment in their data center. So they they know there is no simple thing for us to say, you know, this is enough. You know, let's move to the right. next building next door. Uh, that's going to take like a year for us to do and it's going to cost us a fortune to do. So they can just right. come to us and say, you know, hey, by the way, the price went up 25% because real estate pricing goes up. Uh, right. And by the way, the power also went up because power pricing goes up uh, and we're just yeah. stuck with that. Uh, if we would go to a customer and say, you know, they, hey, the IP pricing went up 30%, please pay more. Then they would say, okay, we'll switch to someone else. That takes right. us five minutes. You're done. Go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was sort of, it was a prediction that was easy to make. And unfortunately, it, it panned out to be true. Uh, most of the co-location mm-hmm. providers have used the fact that all the prices in the world are going up, especially on labor and pricing and real estate and whatever. And therefore, they charge us more. Uh, and for a company, as you said, you know, pricing in our world are going down every year, which means that our cost per megabit needs to go down. Then it's quite tough right. to to sort of fight. There are not so many things we can save on. Um, and if mm-hmm. parts of our network cost goes up, uh, that makes the rest of the piece even tougher to handle. So. Yeah, absolutely, and and like I said, we, we I think we we saw that a little bit in the data. It's 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 it, it, we we haven't seen carriers really raising prices very often. It has happened uh, in the past year, but but more more just along the lines of where we would expect them to have dropped prices ten or fifteen percent, they kept them flat. Say yeah. right, you know. So and that that really is is novel. It's something maybe you have an opinion on this. I mean, I've been seeing might eventually happen somewhere in in. IT is kind of the opposite of, of real estate in that the reason that real estate prices go up is that there's a finite amount of land, right? It's a, it's a scarce resource. Yep. Bits and and being able to send bits over a fiber it has essentially been an, an infinitely growing resource. Is Do, do you see a limit to that? Is there, there, there's the Shannon limit to deal with. We're not quite there. But, you know, ultimately, it's at some point that that has to stop happening, right? Yeah, you would you would think so, but I think we kind of predicted that six years ago, and it hasn't really happened. Exactly. And in some magical yeah. way, uh, the, the component makers and the op- and the sort of equipment makers are coming up with ideas on how to grow the capacity mm-hmm. all the time. And there's, I wouldn't say there is really an end to the traffic growth. You know, 
Uh, I would say last year we were a bit afraid that the traffic growth during 2022 was not going to happen because I would say right. between January and August, there was no traffic growth in the public internet around the world. But then September, October, November, again, the month in, in the autumn were fantastic. And we're back to mm -hmm. 25% growth for the full year of 2022. Right. So the growth is there. Uh, I would say the equipment manufacturers are still coming out with ways of improving. Uh, probably not as good as before, because as you said, we're reaching the channel's limit. Uh, mm -hmm. There are only ways and so many, so many things you can do. Uh, we do have the C-band, we can work with the L-band, but right. there's not too many things. Uh, I would say Europe is perfectly fine because in Europe we have plenty of fibers everywhere on every mm -hmm. route. Uh, and that's not only us, that's most of the vendors that have that. Right. While the U.S. is, is there's a lack of long distance fiber in U.S. So that's going to be a challenge for everyone. How do we increase traffic? Like you said, you know, it's been a given before that every year traffic increases, prices are falling. Uh, that when you only have a few fiber pairs to work with, that's going to be pretty right. tough to, in the U.S. So I can really see prices on the U.S. market stabilizing right now. And, and maybe, as you said, maybe even go up uh, mm -hmm. because of the scarce scarcity of fiber and the unavailability of buying new equipment that's 100% better than the old equipment. Right. Right, exactly, and and again, there's there's that physical geography. So the, the, the one of the reasons the U.S. is a little bit be, behind Europe, uh, there, there's other reasons. The the political fracturing of Europe means more incumbent providers and and all that, you know. But it, it's just physical geography. Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it is. It's expensive to dig trenches or or hang wires on poles for for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kilometers. Right, so yeah. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Uh, starting a new project, building a new route, that's just a major uh, risk taking you're doing. And, and uh, yeah, it's hard to sell things before you have built them. So yeah, uh, <laughs> there are not many companies that yeah. wants to dare to take that risk. Right, right, exactly. And sometimes governments step in, there was, you know, the Australian National Broadband Network and things like that. But even that that took a very long time to, to, to come to fruition and hasn't really like materially impacted pricing in the way that I think some some folks would have expected. So, you know, it's, it's nope. no easy answer. Yeah, nope. you're perfectly right. So, so you also mentioned in, in terms of costs not going down, uh, you, you touched on this already, but the, the cost of power going up. Now, again, to emphasize to listeners, you were writing this before the, the Ukraine war happened. Yeah. So this, this is a, a place where I think your, your prediction ended up being, unfortunately, really d dead on, if, if very conservative even. Right? Absolutely. You're perfectly right. You know, my prediction was probably lower than what actually happened. And, and you know, after the war and, and Russia sort of stopping serving Europe with gas and, and almost mm -hmm. oil as well, prices in Europe, uh, I think the pricing in U in US has gone up, but it's not as dramatic mm -hmm. as in Europe. But parts of Europe are seeing dramatic increases in power because there is simply no power to, to supply. Uh, and therefore, right. my prediction was the power pricing was going to go up. It goes up a lot more. Uh, I've read some reports of people who sort of published their reports for 2022 and prices for power has almost doubled for some of them who who's not been careful enough by sort of hedging for power pricing going forward. Uh, I think we were pretty lucky because one of our largest companies, Germany, we, we hedged for some pricing even before the war. Mm. But still, that price is now 30, 40% higher than it was before. And, and uh, I would say power is... For us, I think it's around the fifth or sixth of our total cost. So, if that part goes up with thirty percent, there's you're in you're in tough 
conditions. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, but the, the silver lining here might be that traditional sort of petroleum-based power sources becoming so, so much more expensive might, you know, force some of the industry to move toward uh, more renewable or or alternative sources of energy, certainly. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's a hope. And, and uh, this has really, I would argue that most countries in Europe have renewed their plans and are now speeding up everything they can do around building more wind and sun and whatever that needs right. to be built to to sort of not be too dependent on the old way of producing power. Yeah, yeah, but it, it illustrates, I think, an interesting way in which our industry is is beholden to regulators and governments and and forces what you know wars right well outside of of any kind of planning um, or or strategy that, that that we can have within the industry that you have to react uh, to to the rest of the world making decisions without thinking about the network. Right? So, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. And then the the, the last uh, cost that won't go down, I think this is one that was probably felt in almost every industry, right? But the, the cost of, of skilled people is going up, right? And seems to me that's still the case. This is another one that I think worked out as a very accurate prediction. Yeah, no, it, it really did. And, and and the reason I wrote that was that we started, you know, as, as we are breaking out from Telia, becoming our own independent company, there was a number of functions we need to replace people that we used within Telia before that we can't use anymore. We need to have our own skilled mm -hmm. people. And then when we realized, you know, okay, here we need really skilled people, then we really understood that, oh, wow, there's not too many of them on the market. Even if you go right. to what's formerly known as sort of low salary countries in Europe, mm -hmm. they're making mm -hmm. a ton of money in these company countries right. as well. So that's it's it's really hard to find this. The only thing that I can think about that may change this is obviously the trend in the US right now with the hyperscalers laying off a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. We heard Microsoft mm -hmm. now, we know Amazon, we know Facebook, we know a few of them have yeah. have, have put a lot of people on the market. Uh, they mm -hmm. are probably mostly very skilled people. Uh, right. We haven't seen if that's going to drop the price of labor uh, and the cost of skilled people, but we can only hope. Uh, but I think, right. you know, when recruiting today, you, know, you need to be extremely careful <laughs> selecting the right people because it's too expensive mm -hmm. to find the wrong people and uh, finding right. the right people is going to cost you. So I, unfortunately, I was very correct with that one. And, and unfortunately, we also experienced experience that ourselves in, in our company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think part of it is is that uh, even if you get a skilled person, then there's still uh, in in most of these roles a pretty steep learning curve for your particular company for your, and so you you put that time and effort in, and then they you know something else comes along, and all, all of a sudden it's it's a double waste, right? Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? so, yeah, I, I'll say that maybe you know the that I, I agree. There's a, a glimmer of hope for for a lot of technology companies in in um, sort of you know the hyperscalers and, and downsizing and whatnot. In that sense, many of them though are losing fewer people than they ramped up during the sort of 2020 boom in in those you know obviously hyperscalers or you think of a, a company like say Zoom for example, right? This one I think went through a, a hiring craze a hiring spree during 2020 yeah. and 21 and so and so some of it is is sort of trimming that off 
but there might be a little like hidden benefit there that you you have folks getting skilled in, in those roles that that can then go on to, to other places perhaps yeah. you know? no absolutely no I, I we have some hope here uh, we absolutely mm-hmm. really have some hope here Excellent. All right. So before we run out of time, uh, uh, I first of all encourage people to go back. This was a fun article and, and look out for the one coming. But could you give us a preview perhaps of of what uh, what you um, are, are focused on for, for 2023? Yeah, no, uh, I think I think many of the things we saw during 2022 are, are the things we're going to see. I, I'm going to focus along uh, around security. That's going to be here as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I think one thing I'm going to write around is this sort of top three things around quality that's not network quality. I, I think a lot mm. of our customers are starting mm-hmm. to ask more questions around a lot of other stuff. You know, everyone wants the nine, 99.99999 forever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think more and more the the way we deliver circuits, the way we can repair circuits, the way we communicate with customers, the way they can interact with us through APIs and that stuff. I think those mm-hmm. things are becoming more important. That's my prediction for 2023. We need to focus mm-hmm. a lot more on that stuff. We, of course, need to have a network that's delivering and, and are not repaired all the time. But I think, you know, right. there's a lot more companies asking us a lot more questions around, okay, how are you prepared when the next sabotage is going to happen? You know, mm-hmm. how do you protect mm-hmm. your cables from not being cut underwater at the same time, 10 of them at the same time. So that type right. of stuff uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to write around uh, in the predictions. Uh, then there are a few other predictions as well that I, I hope will not happen. And some of them I really hope will happen. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that's sort of a preview of, of the 2023 version. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, I definitely felt a lot of these, of course, you know, the, the history, you know, any market doesn't unfold in, in neat kind of years. A lot of these things, of course, are going to continue into the next year. I, I wonder if, if you're also thinking about continuing on, on writing about sort of the, the automation trend. Um, if we'll, maybe we wrap up with that. Uh, that's That's been going through the industry. Do you think... Um, Carrier automation, so so kind of on the on the wholesale side, is is developing enough so that we can get to where we have real like enterprise automation. So like, and, and by that I mean specifically, you know, more bandwidth on demand and 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 yeah. provisioning circuits immediately. Uh, those, those kinds of things. Yeah, no, I, um, that's a very good question. I think we are absolutely far too manual still in our industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are stuff you can still do very well manually. So uh, sometimes we feel, you know. Why not fix something that's not going to save us too much and, and it's still going right. to be within. But you're very right. More automation is needed. Uh, I think the problem we have with bandwidth on demand is, of course, when when you're at the scale at, as we are in some cases of our network, having bandwidth waiting for customers to sign is expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and right. the way we run our network, it's it's almost a just-in-time scenario where, you know, mm-hmm. someone is buying, we're buying, we're installing, and then delivering to customers. Uh, of course, we would love to come to a scenario where people can buy on demand and they can turn up, turn down, change back and forth. But there's a lot of costs coming with that. And I think right now our industry is not really prepared for that. We don't dare to pre-invest and, and hope that the customers will come. So that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, then obviously a, a lot of companies in our industry are a combination of a lot of companies they've bought over time. And having an inventory system that's a combination of five different inventory systems, that is hugely right. difficult to right. automate. Uh, 
uh, and find mm-hmm. out. And mm-hmm. I th- even us who's organically grown to where we are sometimes struggle with our own inventory system, not really mm-hmm. knowing, okay, someone repaired the card over there. Where did that repaired car end up? Uh, it's probably used somewhere else, you know, okay. <laughs> so from time to time, you need to go yeah. through your, your whole stack of cards and so on to find out where they are. Uh, so we still have some way to go in our industry, but of course, more automation uh, stuff where customers can can fix things themselves without our interaction. That's obviously mm-hmm. very well uh, needed. Uh, we do have some APIs already for customers to do some stuff, but there's a lot more mm-hmm. we can help them with. And, and I think that goes for everyone in our industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a great point that that's kind of I've long said about just the concept of bandwidth on demand in general that carriers don't tend to want to over-provision. So you have to have that bandwidth on demand go all the way down to the original operator level, essentially, right? So only when when you can uh, automatically provision to the, the, the person who has that lit fiber or maybe even to the point of lighting fiber that's yeah. that's there, um, uh, only only then will it truly become that. And, and even at that, it's never going to happen in the last mile. Right? No, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Matthias, this has been really interesting. I thought it was, it was, like I said, a great article. I encourage everyone to, to read it. And, um, and you're in, in a, a great position to think about these things and, and um, uh, pull back from the industry. I think, I think a lot of us um, that, that work in this industry get laser beam focused on a particular few topics. And it, it's great to sort of be able to see how it's all working together as an ecosystem, if it will. If folks want to keep up with you, you have your own podcast. Can you tell us uh, how, how to find that and uh, and how else um, uh, any listeners can keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, no, uh, thanks for that. You know, yeah, I have my own connectivity podcast. Uh, I felt really that I met so many enterprise customers that had no clue about the connectivity world. Mm. So I felt, mm-hmm. you know, why not invite some people, uh, not the top people in the industry, but the people that know something in the industry. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and really listen to them, you know, how do they view connectivity and so on. So the Connectivity mm-hmm. Podcast is the name. Uh, they can find it on, on iTunes or, or Spotify or wherever. Uh, I'm trying to invite interesting guests and just have a very good conversation like we've had right now around mm-hmm. connectivity and, and what the trends are and, and sort of finding specific topics and so on. So uh, it can be found wherever people, I think there's a handle connectivity podcast for people if they want to search for it and they should be able to find it. So thanks for that. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been great fun. Uh, You know, maybe we should do like a little standing thing. We'll check in uh, this time next year and see how 2023. (laughs) Yeah, that would be fun. (laughs) If I'm still podcasting that, I hope I am. (laughs) Okay. Excellent. Great. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.